You're listening to highlights from the Creative Processes interview with Hala Alian. This podcast is supported by the Yan Michalski Foundation. I mean, I know a number of writers and artists, and I wonder, and I am myself, and I wonder whether this act of immigration or exile or being a refugee, um, if they had not had that experience, would they have become artists? And do you mm-hmm. think that you yourself would have become a writer and a clinical psychologist if those experiences didn't set up like a, yeah. no, why? It's such a good question. I mean, I don't, I don't know, I guess there's no way to know for sure, but I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, I, I, I remember, so I started writing around the time I learned English because we moved to the States soon after my fourth birthday. And so I was here for kindergarten, um, into elementary school. And I, I grasped this new language just as I was learning how to also put things onto the page. And so those two things really happened at the same time for me. Like I entered this world where I felt very different and very othered and had had a very, you know, I was in, for all intents and purposes, was set to be born and ra- to be raised in Kuwait. Um, so I had the American passport. Just literally, we were here for a couple of weeks. I got passport, went back to Kuwait, and the idea was that I was going to grow up in Kuwait. Um, and then that, of course, got turned upside down after the invasion by Saddam. And so I, I, I think, I, I think that so much of my trying to make sense of the world had to do with the displacement and the exile and these experiences that my parents had experienced, but then that I had as well at four when we were fleeing the war. And so I, it's, it's hard to know because I think in some ways language was being formed in my brain at the same time that these things were happening at the same time that I was feeling a pull towards reading and books and kind of escaping into other worlds and then slowly being wanting to create my own other world so that other people could escape in them. Like I would write short stories, little tiny, I mean, little stories when I was like seven, eight, nine, like it was something that I was always doing as a form of escapism as well. So it's, it's hard to say, I, I think that, especially for me, they all happened around the same time that I, it's hard to not think that they're connected. So I've always said, I think like in a lot of ways, the currency of all of the different things I do in my life is storytelling. And that is certainly true for, for I teach, I am a clinical psychologist, I do therapy, I teach and I write. And all three of them deal at, at the core, the smallest unit is that of telling stories. And I think there's something very similar in being a therapist and being a writer, for me at least, in that you, you have to make sense of having these sort of fragmented pieces and learn the skill of creating cohesion from that and, and allowing the narrative to emerge from things that seem disconnected or seem sort of like splintered off. Um, and that's something for me that I've, I've found to be really exhilarating. I mean, I think that like I, the pleasure I get from writing is, is certainly more, I think it's more directly connected to creating and making something that wasn't there before and feeling like I'm part of a lineage of like, you know, this craft that has existed for so long. But I think with therapy, the pleasure has to do with like being a vehicle for other people and sort of a co-participant for other people to to watch their stories get created and watch their stories kind of get co-created and watch them get recreated and rewritten and retweaked. And I mean, we are the the power of a story. I mean, this is, I know it's not the most like revolutionary thing to say, but like stories have a tremendous amount of power in both directions. So also, and I think in psych, you see that a lot in, in the, in the negative direction that we become the stories we tell ourselves. And so if I tell myself a story about how I'm an addict, or I tell myself a story about how I'm 
not worthy of love or I'm never going to change or whatnot. That becomes that becomes your life, you know? And I think that like, there is some refracturing that can happen around those stories that can be really revolutionary, but first you have to identify what's the story you've been telling yourself. I would say that a lot of what I learned in school, I then kind of had to unlearn as I started working with different communities and different populations. I think, you know, the field of psychotherapy was ultimately created by and for white people of a certain socioeconomic status in the West. Like that's, that's, and that's not to say healing practices were created here. They were definitely not. And a lot of the folks that created psychotherapy actually took very liberally from, from practices um, all over the world, right? Um, there's a lot of elements of like Buddhism, for example, and certain like more cognitive behavioral approaches. So I think for me, there was a lot of stuff that I learned. And then when I actually kind of got on, got on the ground and started working with different populations, it was like, oh, I kind of have to forget a bunch of that because it doesn't necessarily apply to these folks and these communities. And um, I think I think we live, I think you're very right. I think happiness is sort of shoved down people's throats in the West. I think there, I think the West is very death phobic. I think it's very illness phobic. I think that um, it's very aging phobic. And I think that there are a lot of places in the world where those experiences are just seen to be, and one could say it's fatalistic, you can use whatever language you want, but like are just seen to really kind of practically and frankly be part of life that that's just something that is is part of what it is to be alive and what it is to, to exist and um, I do think that also the collectivism values that we see in in other parts of the world are also one of the ways in which people mitigate suffering or despair is that people suffer together or they share or they you know if you're grieving you you don't grieve alone like Whereas I think there's an emphasis when we think about healing in, in the West, in the United, in the US, and again, this is changing, but this sort of st standard stereotypical idea of healing often is very individualistic. It's very much like the, 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 the person feels better. Like you have to lift you up and you have to make you feel better. And I think that there are, are a lot of other places in the world, the Middle East, I mean, their world included where like, what lifts you up is your community. It's your family. It's your, it's your religious, like, um, your, the, the clergy people that you, the, the, at the church or the mosque or whatever that you go to. Um, it's your second cousins, it's the neighbors, it's the this and that. There's just much more of like a, you have a tribe. And, and, that, and again, that can work against and for, right? So like, I, you know, I did my dissertation on like sexual violence among Arab and Arab immigrants. And it's like, oftentimes the collectivism was a deterrent from ever revealing or disclosing because there was the fear that that was going to call it disruption or, you know, so everything is like a weapon and a tool, right? Um, depending on how you're sort of engaging with it. But it's generally speaking, I think there's like more of an emphasis on support through community when when we're looking at other parts of the world. And I try to bring that into therapy, even though I'm one person, I'm ultimately still doing kind of that individualistic thing. I do primarily one-on-one -on -one therapy with people, but I try to remember that the person that's in the room with me is bringing in everyone that they grew up with as well. And they're bringing in their caretakers and they're bringing in their siblings and their cousins and their grandparents that they have, like that they're, that you're, you are really sort of trying to heal all of these imprints of all these other people and communities that they've in, interacted with as well. What we consider to be normative absolutely varies wildly. I mean, what's normative for someone that's in Gaza is, is I think unimaginable to most people that are that are elsewhere. I, I there's um, there's a really I think there's this concept that was sort of coined by a psychiatrist in in Palestine. Um, I'm trying to remember her name. 
Sama Jabir, I think. And she, and she talks about this idea of how like we talk about PTSD in the West, but there is no PTSD in Palestine, for example, I'm just using this, this as an example, that there's not really a, PT, a, a post-traumatic stress disorder in Palestine because in order to get that diagnosis, the trauma has to be over. You have to say post-traumatic, so you have to be after the trauma and how there are, there are places like Palestine, like also like this place, and like other places in the world where there is no post, where the trauma is chronic and it's enduring and, and it's impossible really to heal from it because you kind of need a reprieve. You need a pause from the trauma in order to cope with the trauma or to process the trauma. But if it's, if it's constant and it's ongoing, you're never going to get that, 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 that capacity to get a little bit of distance and reset um, and try to work on your healing. And so then you're healing as the trauma is kind of ongoing and you're kind of doing both of these things simultaneously, which obviously is not the ideal model for healing from trauma. So I think that's an example of like, yeah, there's not really, there are our whole conceptualization of what it is to be traumatized. Mine certainly is. And I'm trying to sort of, again, challenge this and unlearn this and, and not even unlearn it, but like expand it to include other places and other communities. Mine is still very entrenched in a, in a very like, I would say white, Western model of psychotherapy and of how we conceptualize trauma. That's, you know, that's where I was trained. And again, trying to like learn how to break that apart and make space for other conceptualizations of it. But I think that would be the one thing that would come to mind is that we think about it in this part of the world as being something that ends and then you heal from it. And that linearity and that simplicity just doesn't exist everywhere. We hope you've enjoyed listening to these highlights. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click to subscribe. Thank you for listening.